0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast, where we want to help you see the relevance of all the Bible's teaching to all of life's living. My name is Matthew Kane. Our regular co-host, Mike Knox, gets a break this week, and I'm joined once again by my father, Lloyd Kane, Lloyd, or dad, as I may refer to him, throughout today's episode, joined us back in episode 10 in part one of A Theology of Work, looking particularly at the principle of diligence, and we focus particularly on one of Scripture's wisdom books, the book of Proverbs, dad is back in the proverbs today at least to start looking at the interesting and important and maybe the slightly tricky subject of the lord's discipline of his people or the lord's chastening of believers in the vocabulary that you will predominantly hear him use today thanks for joining
1: us to tackle this teaching today good morning Why do trials happen in the life of the believer? Why are we chastened? Why are we disciplined? What are the Father's objectives in this particular process in the believer's life? I'm going to start off with the reality of chastening, and I'm going to read you a verse from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's consider that verse for just a moment. Chastening is a reality in the life of the child of God. It's a part of being in his family. One of the works of the father is to discipline the children. So before we go any further, we must define the word chastening unless we get the wrong impression totally. And the word chastening in the Bible, the simplest definition, it's child training we tend to want to look at chastening as punishment. That may be the case in a small number of cases, but primarily what the father is doing is training his children. Now, if we can come back to the text for just a moment, he says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the father loves, he corrects, even as the father, the son in whom he delights. Notice that chastening is a proof of the father's love for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Notice that the father delights in his children. He disciplines us because he delights in us. Notice how we can react to the chastening. Our text not only teaches us that chastening is a reality, but also that there are different possible reactions to the chastening, that there are various reasons for the father's chastening or disciplining of his children. And then at the end, we'll look briefly at what are the results of the chastening.
0: All right, very good. There's the alliterated outline that we were anticipating. Now, I just want to return to something you said, though. Some are likely thinking, of course, this is a reality. And that the reason it's a reality in my life is that I have... Failed so much as a Christian and because my obedience hasn't been perfect. God is punishing me because I've been a bad Christian. That's why these bad things are happening in my life. What What do you say to that?
1: Uh, that is not what the what chastening is about. God is not punishing us because we have been bad. He is correcting us in order. To make us better so it's a productive part of what we're looking at so again it's wrong to think of chastening as being punitive while it may be punitive that's not the usual meaning of the word now job's friends uh, illustrated this error that we so often make. remember what they said what one of his friends said in job chapter four he said re, uh, and he he's addressing job and he says, remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. So that's what they said. They said, job, if you're if you're going through this process, that is a proof that, you have been disobedient, that you have sinned, whoever perishes, being innocent. And then he said, or where, were, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. So what they were saying was that chastening is always the consequence of crimes that have been committed. And we want to show uh, from the Bible that that is not the case. Job's friends were wrong. Now, let's go back to the text for just a moment, and we want to look at how I can react in my life to the chastening of the Father. Job's friends said, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, despise not. The chastening of the almighty do not despise the chastening of the almighty in other words job's friend said there's really only one way that people react to chastening and that's by despising it by refusing it by failing to see the father's hand now going to the book of proverbs the wisdom book solomon added to this text in job and our verse in proverbs chapter 3 11 to 12 that we mentioned before uh, solomon says my son despise not the chastening of the lord that's what job's friend said but solomon adds this neither be weary of his correction for whom the lord loves he corrects even as a father the son in whom he delights so you'll see that solomon had a much wider and wiser view of chastening than did Job's uh, initial friend. So two two possibilities then, despising it, and the second possibility saying the trial is too great and we faint under it or we become discouraged by it.
0: Yeah, the exhortation to not be discouraged is good in two ways, I think. First, that we're bearing in mind that our father has our good in mind. He's working in our lives to preserve us from sin, to develop us for his glory. I know you'll come back to that. It's also a warning to us as parents. I mean, we do need to discipline our children, but we do need to be patient and wise in the matter too. Colossians 3 warns us about the danger of discouraging our children. Um, I Actually, this, this brings to mind an instance in our joint experience when I had to be disciplined. I don't know what I was doing at the dinner table, but I recall going down to your office and, of course, going down there with a bit of a sense of foreboding as to what was coming. But when, when we sat down, you said to me, I don't like to spank my boy. I hope you're all okay with me using the word spank here. On air, spanking is legal in Canada, by the way. According to Section 43 of the Criminal Code, it is acceptable for a parent to use reasonable force or corrective force only, and only with a bare hand, not with a separate object, not in retaliatory anger. It must not be degrading, and it must not be hard enough to leave a bruise, for example, minor force. There are other legal qualifiers, too. It can't be to the face or the head. Obviously, that's not spanking, but true corrective spanking is legal. Anyway, I guess you're speaking about seeing the father's hand brought this to mind, and in that occasion, you calmly had said, I don't like to spank my boy, and I thought, great, hey, this is going better than I anticipated because I actually wasn't one of spanking either. However, the process didn't continue along the trajectory that I was hoping for. It took what I perceived at the time to be a negative turn, and I felt the consequences of my action. But I can say I I don't recall being discouraged by that or any other moment of discipline, so I can thank you for it now. I probably didn't then. Uh, but that is a good reminder that we're not to be discouraged. We're not to discourage our children by it. And then bearing in mind, we
1: do not need to be discouraged by our father's good purposes in our lives. Okay, just coming back to our relationships with our children and where disciplining is necessary. It's interesting to look at David. When you read First Kings chapter 1 and verse 5, We read these astonishing words. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, why hast thou done so? So it's interesting that in the bringing up of this son, David had never rebuked him. He had never displeased him. He had never said, What's going on in your life? He left him to grow up instead of being brought up. So that's a pretty good illustration of one of the roles of the fathers. Now, coming back to our Heavenly Father, He trains us not to make, not to punish us, but to make us better. And I think we can say from the words of Solomon here, the objective is not to make us bitter, but to make us better. Now, let's leave that for a moment. We've said so far, uh, Job's friend said, there's only one way that you can react to chastening. He said, it's always punitive. And he says, don't refuse it. When we got to Solomon, Solomon is talking about the father's delight in his children. And he says, don't despise it, but don't be discouraged by it. Now, we're going to jump over to Hebrews. And when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, there's a long dissertation here on, uh, on chastening in chapter 12. And we can't read it all, but we're just going to jump in at verse 11. And, and notice uh, the word chastening, of course, it's a New Testament word, and the emphasis is upon the, the child training like we have in the Old Testament word, but that word, don't despise it. The, the New Testament word for despise contains the thought of treating it lightly. In other words, of simply saying, I know that I'm going through a trial, but I'm just going to say that everybody goes through trials, and I'm not going to look. the Father's hand. That's contained within the word despise in Hebrews chapter 12. Don't treat it lightly, but listen to this verse from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. Now, no chastening, no child training, no disciplining, for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. So the writer to the Hebrews is throwing in a third reaction. I can be developed by it. Now, we're going to just do a little digression now on this word exercised or trained onto them which are trained thereby. That is actually the Greek word from which we get the word gymnasium and i have to look at the trials through which i pass and say i'm in god's training room i've gone to the gym god is developing me for some reason and that's why i'm going through the trial so make sure i don't despise it make sure i i don't get discouraged by it but make sure that i realize that i'm being developed by it so god wants me to be developed, not just physically in the gymnasiums around us, but he wants me to be developed spiritually in his gymnasium. So let's read it that way. uh, That yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are trained thereby. God has a training room and his training room is often the trials through which we pass. Now, we're going to move from there to the reasons for chastening. And notice what the Hebrew says, but he for our prophet. So that's the overriding principle as far as the reasons for chastening is concerned, that God is doing it for our prophets. Now, we're just going to digress here for a moment. Remember these words. The devil tempts us to bring out the worst in us. God tries us to bring out the best in us, and the devil can tempt us, but the things to which God is causing us to pass, they're part of his gymnasium, part of his school, and he's training us. Now, let's jump back at the verses we're going to look at now, and we're just going to go through some of these verses that will tell us what the father's purposes are. Do you have a pen so you can write down some references? John fifteen one to two. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, but every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. That's a primary reason for God's dealings with us. He is purging us. That word purge actually is a word to clean. God is cleansing us. He's removing impurities and he's doing it so that we may bring forth more fruit. So when you're going through that trial today, and you're wondering what the purposes of God are. Just remember, one of his purposes is always this. He wants to make you more fruitful. Now, just keep that one in your mind. We're going to jump again to Proverbs. And Proverbs 17 and 3, Solomon writes, The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tries the hearts. Now that's part of the cleansing process. That fining pot, that refining pot that the that they they use to purify the silver or in the purify the gold to remove all the impurities. That's what God is doing in our lives. It's like the purging process and he's removing impurities. So when I'm going through the trial there may be things in my life that God is uh, removing from my life, and he's he's putting me through that refining, purging, cleansing process. So let's say that the first reason for God's chastening us, his disciplining us, is for purging or to cleanse us, to make us more fruitful. Now we're going to jump to a second one, and if you'll turn or make a note of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul is going to be dealing here with what he calls his thorn in the flesh, and he had prayed three times that that be removed, and God says that he's not going to remove that from the life of Paul, and notice he gives him his reason, and he says in verse seven, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." We've mentioned that uh, that the chastening is purging to remove impurities. In this verse, in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, the, the, the chastening is preventative. There was a great danger with Paul because of these massive revelations he was given, more so than any man before him, that he would become exalted above measure. So he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. So we can look upon the trial, maybe the trial that you're going through today, and say, God may be perching you, or he may be putting in just the prevention thing, just to keep us humble, and dependent upon him, so we don't get exalted above measure. So that's a very positive look at, uh, at our afflictions. Now, second Corinthians chapter one gives us another one. And it shows us that sometimes uh, the chastening is preparatory. Uh, just listen to chapter one, uh, verses three and four. Paul says, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And here's the verse, who comforts us in all our tribulation that, notice the that, that's going to introduce a purpose clause. He comforts us in all our tribulations. And we think he comforts us just to make us comfortable, but that's not what it says. Listen as we read it. He comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them, which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So that verse is telling me that sometimes the trial is to prepare me for something bigger in my life. Are you being purged? Are you being prevented? Are you being prepared for a greater work? Now, let's look at another verse in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is, uh, you know, the emotional epistle that Paul is writing here, and he's going through the difficulties through which he passes. And just look at chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that. So notice that. It introduces a purpose clause. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Does that raise your expectations concerning disciplining and God's purposes for chastening. God wants to make the life of Jesus made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's what God wants to do, is to train us in such a way that we will manifest the character that was manifested by the Lord Jesus in his life. Now, there's another one. In Hebrews 12, where we have that longer uh, outline on the reasons for chastening, at the end of that, or at least in verse 10, he says, they, that's earthly parents, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. That doesn't mean they got pleasure from doing it, but they did it in the way that they thought was best. They chastened us after their own pleasure, but... He for our profit. Now that's the overriding principle in chastening. He for our profit. And then notice the rest of it again, another purpose clause that we might be partakers, sharers of his holiness. Why does God put me through the furnace of affliction? Why does God place me in the crucible? of affliction and trials here's the reason hebrews 12 verse 10 that we might be partakers of his holiness god wants me to be holy he wants to make me holy and there's a whole group of things that sometimes have to be removed from our lives because god wants to make us holy
0: these last few points in particular i think really exalt the significance of the trials that the Lord allows or brings into our life, that we may comfort others, that the life of Jesus might be manifest in us. And now that we might be partakers of holiness, that's a very noble objective that God has in mind, beloved. And I want you to to ponder that carefully today, as you think about these hardships that you go through, that God is working towards a good end. So I guess we're kind of going in now to the final point. You've covered the reality of the Lord's chastening or disciplinary work in our life, the reactions that we may have to it, the reasons for it. You're now getting into
1: the results of it. I've enjoyed looking at the final verses in the book of Job. It's Job 42 and verse 14 on the names that Job gives his three daughters after the trial. Notice all the things that happened in that trial. But now he's come out on the other side. And he had said during the trial that uh, though he slay me, I will still trust him and so on. So Job had total confidence in God. And he looks back at the end. Now, here's what he does. He called the name of the first Jemima and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Now, why did Job use those names? Well, very briefly, that name, Jemima, it really means a dove. And uh, and the dove is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. And we can connect that with the fruit of the Spirit and so on. But uh, his dependence and his development by the Holy Spirit within his life, that's what's pictured. I recognize it's a picture, but that's what's pictured to me in the in Jemima, the one whom he called the dove. God had worked within his life. Now let's look at the second one, and that's Kessia or Cassia. And Cassia refers to this. It refers to the removal of the outer bark of that tree, the removal of the outer bark and reveals the fragrant inner bark. Is there sometimes an outer bark in my life? Is there a crustiness there that God wants to remove? Because that inner bark, if it's displayed, that's the fragrant inner bark. So it seems to me that Job was saying in picture, and remember this is picture only, but Job was saying, there's a fragrance in my life that could not be revealed, could not be manifested without this outer bark being removed. And if you look back at Job, that outer bark was removed in the trial. The third daughter, he calls Karen Hapik. And that name means adorned, adorned. Job is saying, I was adorned in the trial. So let's look back at the trial. And maybe you're going through one today and you're saying, what is God doing? Well, I'm being purged and I'm being refined and I'm being more fruitful and I'm being developed. I'm in the gymnasium and God is training me. But one of the other things, God is adorning me, being adorned in the trial. We may not enjoy it, but that's what God is doing. So it seems to me, That when job looks back and he names his daughters he's saying these are the consequences of the trial these are the results of the things through which i've passed thank you dad for
0: that good word today what we're getting listeners are the fruits of his study and his reflection on his own experience at times difficult things in his life as it is in yours and mine as well but we have a good father in heaven Thanks, everyone, for listening today, and thank you for being a part of our lives as we help make the Bible part of yours. May the Lord bless you and give you grace and strengthen you in the trials that you're going through today, and we hope you tune in again soon to the Practicology Podcast.